You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. Y'all looking good out there today. Got an extra hour of sleep and you're fresh and ready to roll, right? So find somebody around you and say, it's good to see you at church today, my brother. Yeah, you need to be here. Hey, we're going to get straight into it today. We're starting a brand new series on spiritual warfare called Battle Ready. And uh, before we get going, at the beginning of this series, I just got to give some props to a couple of different resources that I've used. Uh, You know, preachers always say that if you can't remember where you heard something, then it's original to you. And I don't want to plagiarize anybody, but I may forget where I hear some of these quotes and things. So uh, Chuck Swindoll uh, used his commentary a lot for this series. Tony Evans, Pastor Tony Evans, has a great book on the spiritual armor of God that we're going to unpack during this series that I would recommend to you. John MacArthur and, of course, Pastor Robert Morris has a great book. I think it's called Free Indeed on Spiritual Warfare. Pick those up because I really think they would uh, bless you and uh, be good for you. But Battle Ready is where we're starting, and we're going to be in this series for two months, and it's all about spiritual warfare. And today, what we're going to talk about is we're not going to get into the specifics of the armor, but what we're going to talk about today is the need for the spiritual armor. I have one job today as your pastor and the pastor of this church, and that job is to wake you up to the reality that you are in a spiritual battle. I've got a friend in this church named Alex Sixkiller, uh, who's a gym rat like me. He works out a lot. He's a college kid, and about a month or two ago, he did his first powerlifting meet. And in the process of getting ready for his powerlifting meet, uh, he started to learn about what's known as uh, ammonia caps or smelling salts. And I've got some of those right here. And Pastor Donovan, wherever he is, he's going to come up here and help me and uh, give you an example, a visual example. Give him a hand, y'all. And uh, what they do is they take... They take these smelling salts before they're getting ready to lift heavy, and they take a big whiff of them, and it's what they give you when you're knocked out. Uh, It makes them, like, really perk up. So, Donovan, these are the strong ones, man. Can you uh, take a whiff? You okay, man? You awake? He's awake, y'all. Give him a hand. What we're doing today and what my goal is with you today You all right, man? Don't throw up. (laughs) You got to be here live if you're watching online. He's going to be a senior pastor one day, and he's going to make his college pastor do this kind of stuff. You're going to love it, man. You're going to love it. But what we're doing today is we are giving you some spiritual smelling salts to wake you up so that you will recognize the battle that you are in. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6 today, and the book of Ephesians in its totality uh, really does a job, a great job at pointing out two enemies that every single one of us are going to battle and fight in this world. The first enemy is what I'll refer to as the enemy inside of us, and we're going to go over this one first for a specific reason. The enemy inside of us is what is referred to in the New Testament as the flesh. Every single one of us has a battle inside of us that is raging between our flesh and the spirit. 
In Galatians chapter 5, it gives us some of the clearest teaching on the difference, difference between uh, spiritual following the Spirit versus following the flesh. And in verse 17 of Galatians 5, it says this, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Later on in that same chapter, uh, Paul in the book of Galatians gives us a list of what he refers to as the deeds of the flesh and compares them to uh, the fruits of the Spirit. Listen to verse 19 through 25. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I have forewarned you. Just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 8, we have more clarity on the difference between following the flesh versus following the Spirit. Listen to Romans 8, chapter 8, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Verse 8, those in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 14, for all those who are led by the Spirit are the sons of God. Jesus himself even was quoted as saying, the Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is is weak. Now, how do we deal with the enemy inside of us? The scripture tells us we walk in the spirit. Also, we do not participate in what we talked about, the deeds of the flesh, because when you do, you give Satan a foothold. The reason I'm starting out with this during this series is I don't want anyone in here to do something in the flesh something that you know you shouldn't do, something you've participated in that's destructive, don't you dare do that and then blame the devil or blame spiritual warfare. Does this make sense to everybody say amen? Amen. Way too many of us think that spiritual warfare is an out for the stupid things that we do. You're not good at fighting the enemy inside of you. What we're going to look at though is Ephesians chapter 6 and And what we're going to talk about over the next two months is the second enemy, the enemy outside of us. This is Satan and his demons, the devil and his demons, and this is what we refer to as spiritual warfare. If I could give you a working definition of spiritual warfare, it would be the conflict in the invisible realm that affects what happens in the physical realm. Listen to me. If you don't know how to navigate the invisible realm, you'll never be able to fix the things in your life that are in the physical realm. In Ephesians chapter 6, where we're going to stay during this whole series, we're just going to look at three verses today, but we're going to look at 10 verses of Scripture, uh, verses 10 through 20. And in Ephesians 6, what you're going to find in these verses is Paul is teaching us how to fight the enemy outside of us, how to stay faithful to Christ even though there's a battle raging around us, how to deal with this spiritual battle. See, some of you guys thought when you got saved, And maybe the preacher pitched it to you this way, that when you were following Jesus, it was going to be walking through a meadow, holding hands with Jesus, and everything was going to be just peaceful. 
But what you need to realize is you're not walking through a meadow, you're walking through a minefield. Some of you guys think that following Jesus is strolling around on a happy playground, but actually you need to wake up and realize you are running through a harsh battleground. And Satan's snipers have you in their crosshairs. They've studied you for years, and they are aware of weaknesses that you don't even know you have. They're masters at psychology, masters of human nature, and like a lion studying its prey, they're roaming around trying to find someone to destroy in this battle. I don't care if you're a young believer. I don't care if you're an old saint. I don't care if you think you're spiritually strong or you're spiritually weak. Satan has one goal in mind, and that is your destruction. Wants to destroy you, wants to destroy your marriage, wants to destroy your family, wants to destroy your testimony. He does not just want to hurt you, he wants to take you out. He's not just looking to cripple us, he's looking to decimate us. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 6 in verse 10. We'll stop along the way. Y'all with me? Say I am. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. Look at what Paul starts out with. He says this, Finally, it's almost as if Paul is saying in verse 10, everything has led up to this moment. The whole book of Ephesians is leading up to the point for what I'm going to teach you over these next 10 verses. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. This is Paul's battle cry in the first verse of this passage. This is Paul's pregame speech to the team that is the church getting ready to run out onto the field. If you've ever watched an old war movie, uh, when the soldiers are running out onto the field, they'll play a bugle. Maybe you've heard it before. They don't really do that in war movies now. But this is Paul's bugle blast to the church. This is his call to arms. And in this first verse, he talks about two things that are essential to this spiritual battle. Number one, he talks about our general, and he talks about the arsenal that we pull from. The general is, of course, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, in Ephesians chapter 1, if you back up all the way to chapter 1, it gives us some insight into our general Jesus when it says this, God in his incomparably great power for who us believed, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above rule and authority, power and dominion. This is all spiritual warfare talk here. He's got power and dominion. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church. That's our general, y'all. Jesus. Spoiler alert. Jesus conquers everything. More on that later. Secondly, it tells us the arsenal that we pull from. It says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. When it refers to his mighty power, here's what you need to understand out the gate. This is why it's in the first verse. You cannot fight this battle in your own strength. You have to rely on Jesus Christ. And when you rely on Jesus Christ's mighty power, you can defeat Satan and defeat his demons. 
continue in verse 11. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Man, this is just so rich theologically and doctrinally. Verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. God has provided spiritual armor for you. Here, Paul says, put on this armor. Now, when Paul refers to this armor, this is not literal armor. This is figuratively Paul is speaking. Paul wrote the book of Ephesians while under house arrest, and he most likely had a Roman soldier outside his door. And what I believe Paul did was he looked out the window, saw a Roman soldier standing there, and said, hmm, I'm going to teach on the spiritual battle and use this figuratively. And what Paul is teaching us is we are fighting a spiritual battle, so only spiritual armor can protect us. The only other time in the New Testament this word armor is used is in Luke chapter 11 when Jesus is talking about a strong man that has his armor stripped and an enemy comes in and plunders his house. Paul definitely had in mind here Isaiah 59 in the Old Testament that tells us God puts on a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation on his head. A couple things to keep in mind. This is God's armor. It's not your armor. This is a grace gift that God offers us that we pick up in faith. It's His armor. Again, you can't do this without Him. When Paul says to put on the armor, some speculate that what it means is we put on the armor once and for all and we don't ever take it off. But what you're going to find as we go through this series over the next two months is there are actually two different categories of spiritual armor. The first three pieces of armor that are mentioned, Paul says, have them or be with them. In other words, you never take those off. But the last three pieces of spiritual armor that are mentioned, Paul says, take these up as needed. Secondly, in this verse, it gives us some insight into our enemy, the devil. Two things about the devil, our enemy. Number one, the devil is real, y'all. If you can walk away today just recognizing that, then I've done my job. The devil is real, and his demons are real too. Satan would love nothing more than for us to think of him as a harmless little guy on our shoulder that's telling us in our ear to do naughty things. He loves it when we get desensitized to his true character. And the only times we ever see the devil or even think of the devil or consider the devil is when a college mascot is running around on a football field or on a basketball court. But you need to understand that Satan is real and his power is real as well. Consider this. Go read through the Gospels. How many times did Jesus joke about Satan? You won't find one time. He was dead serious. In fact, think about this. Satan is the only being other than God the Father that Jesus ever ascribed the name God to when he referred to him as the God of this world. In chapter 2 of the book of Ephesians, if you go back to it, it refers to Satan as the ruler of the kingdom of the air. So Satan is not equal to God. He's not the ruler of the universe. He's the ruler of the air on this earth, the God of this world. Chuck Swindoll gives a very clear doctrinal statement on Satan uh, that really sums up what the Bible teaches about Satan when he says this. The Bible teaches that Satan is an angelic creature of God 
who can do nothing apart from God's control or permission. He's not the counterpart of God, but of the archangel Michael. Satan is also the enemy and accuser of humans. While we must not deny that Satan has power to attack and ensnare us, we also must not attribute to Satan more power than he actually has. We have an enemy. He is real. It is Satan. It is the devil and his demons. His attacks are strong and relentless, but with the power of Christ, we win. The devil is real, but recognize too, the devil is also scheming, y'all. He's smart, man. He's been at this a long time. The word scheming here is the same word that is used in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, and they phrase it deceitful scheming. It comes from the Greek word methodia, which is where we get our word for method. And the literal definition of this Greek word is craftiness in deceitful scheming. The important thing to recognize with how it's used in Ephesians chapter 6 is the word for scheming is plural, which tells us Satan has numerous, in fact, countless schemes. He doesn't get you one way. He's coming at you with another angle to try to get you. He's been at this a long time. He knows what makes us tick. You guys remember back in Matthew chapter 16, there's a verse of scripture where it's actually a passage where Jesus actually starts his church in Matthew 16. And it's where he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I've taught before and I still believe that when it refers to the gates of hell, what that really means is the church is supposed to be on the offensive Because gates are a defensive weapon. And so when Jesus referred to the gates of hell, what he means is we're on the offense fighting the enemy and the enemy's just trying to hold their ground with some gates. But he was also referring to the fact that at city gates is where leaders of cities would gather together and strategize and come up with schemes. And so when Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church, one thing that he's also saying along with being offensive is the schemes of the enemy are not going to prevail against my church. When Satan and his demons get together at the gates of hell and start to come up with ways that they can defeat us, they have no power because of Jesus. What I'm trying to say about schemes is simply this, and listen to me when I say this. Some spiritual battles you will see coming, but some of them, because they're schemes, they're going to hit you out of nowhere. This is why you keep your armor on. Harold Honer said this about the spiritual armor. The believers should be aware that they must prepare not only for everyday evils, but for the times of heightened and unexpected spiritual battles. You remember back in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is tempted three different times in the wilderness. He resists the devil. And in verse 13, listen to what it says. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him, him being Jesus, Until an opportune time. He's scheming, man. Looking for that opportune time to come at every single one of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. We should not be ignorant to his schemes. Yesterday was a bad day for college football. And uh, now listen. 
if your mood for a week is set on college football and you're depressed today or you didn't come to church today because of college football, you need to take inventory in your life and straighten some priorities out, okay? But it was a bad day, and I noticed I was watching college game day yesterday morning, and they had Kirby Smart, the coach of the Georgia Bulldogs. You know what he said? He said, we've been preparing for this team since the offseason. We had the practice squad getting their formations. I've got a guy on my staff that I pay just to watch Tennessee every single week and try to figure out their plays and their playbook so that we can make a play against it. We got God's word, y'all. And guess what it tells us? It tells us Satan's playbook against us. Let me give you the plays that Satan is going to run against you and the schemes he's going to do to try to ultimately destroy you. They all start with a D. They're alliterated. Praise Jesus. Amen. So my Baptist background's coming out. This is Satan's playbook. Number one, Satan wants to distract you. He wants to distract you. Look through the scripture. Every time somebody does something stupid and falls in temptation, David comes to mind. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're looking at something they're not supposed to look at. They're not doing what they're, they're distracted. He wants to distract you. Number two, he wants to discourage you. I can't do what God told me I can do. I'm no good. He wants to discourage you. Number three, here's the big one for me. He wants you to be discontent. You know, there's a really good argument to be made that the original lie in the book of Genesis, when Satan looked at Eve and said, did God really say, had to do with her contentment. Satan was really looking at Eve saying, do you have everything you want? I mean, there's that one tree that God said you couldn't have. Are you really content? Boy, that's the one I struggle with. How about y'all? Oh, y'all are, y'all are the holy crowd, okay? It's just the first and third service that struggle with contentment, right? I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how big this church gets. Guess what? I always want it to be bigger. Doesn't matter how much money we have in the bank, we always want more. No matter how big our house is, we could always use a few more square feet. No matter what kind of car God blesses us with, within a few months, we're thinking about the next one. You ever notice this? No matter how good your kids do, you want your kids to do better. No matter what kind of job you have, you always think it could be better. Contentment. He wants you to be discontent. Hello, America. Number four, he wants you to be divided. Number five, he wants us to doubt. Number six, he wants to deceive you. And number seven, ultimately, this is what it leads to. He wants to destroy you. There is no way you can fully relate to the complete, total, overwhelming wickedness that motivates the devil. Satan has no conscience. He has no compassion. He has no remorse. He has no morals. And he has absolutely no love. He feeds on temptation, sin, destruction, death, pain, our anguish, and filth. While there's no way I could illustrate this fully to you, I think one of the best ways I could do it is by referencing a Batman movie, The Dark Knight 2008. The Joker character its probably the closest depiction that there's been when Heath Ledger played the Joker. Batman's trying to figure out how to fight this enemy And Alfred, his butler, comes to him and he says this about the Joker. I think they stole this from the doctrine of Satan. Alfred says this, Some men aren't looking for anything logical. They can't be bought. They can't be bullied. They can't be reasoned or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Satan and his demons, guess what? Their fate is sealed. 
We know how this ends. Think about this. The two books of the Bible that are under the most attack, by far, the book of Genesis, the creation account. You believe in creationism? That, that is so under attack. And the book of Revelation. Oh, you believe in end time stuff? You think Jesus is coming back? We're made to be fools if we believe in either of those accounts. Why is that? Because the book of Genesis shows the schemes and how the devil works. The book of Revelation shows where the enemy is going to end up. You ever thought about that? Because guess what? He gets thrown on a lake of fire and Jesus wins, y'all. Amen, Rev Church. They know where they're headed. They just want to burn down as many people as they can on their way to that ultimate place. Let's continue, verse 13, or verse 12. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. In this verse, it gives us the dynamic of spiritual warfare. Look what it says. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here's the deal. This is what this verse tells us. You're in spiritual warfare whether you like it or not. Look at your neighbor and say, you're in it. Look at your other neighbor on the other side, your second choice, maybe the person you're mad at, and say, you can't get out of it. You think this is hogwash? You think this is backwoods theology? Whatever. You know there are things that happen in your life that you cannot explain that make no sense. And the reason they make no sense is because they're spiritual. See, we've got to understand that that. We are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being that is having a physical experience for a very short time on this earth. Let me say that again. You are not a physical being having a spiritual experience. You are a spiritual being that is having a physical experience. These attacks that you are facing in your life and going to face are not based in flesh and blood, so you won't be able to detect them or have power over them with any of your five senses. See, this is difficult for us because every one of us is pulled toward the physical world or the flesh, right? Everything we focus on is what we can see, feel, hear, taste, and smell. What Paul is teaching us is everything in the physical realm is controlled by everything in the spiritual realm. Your car breaking down, the car is not the problem. People aren't your problem. Look at your neighbor and say, you're not my problem. Okay, now find somebody else, okay? Find somebody, everybody make eye contact with somebody and say this to them. You might be, though. I don't know. You might be. People aren't your problem. We're not fighting people. We're not fighting Democrats and Republicans. We're fighting a spiritual battle. And to battle Satan, you need spiritual discernment, and you need to open your spiritual eyes and realize everything is spiritual. Let me talk to the men in here. I'll talk to the men in here because I is one, okay? And, and I know that every single man under the sound of my voice, I've never met one that doesn't struggle with the same sins that I struggle with in some sense. There's, there's like some core ones that we all struggle with. Guys in here, you're smart, man. Do you really think, I mean, really? You really?
really think that it's just by happenstance that that ad with a half-naked woman popped up on your social media? Really? I mean, oh, it just happens to be that I never look at this stuff, and all of a sudden I'm seeing an ad for Ukrainian mail-order brides that are half-naked on my YouTube page. That was the one this week. I showed my wife. I said, why is it showing me this stuff? You know what I'm saying? The enemy has an algorithm on every single person in here. And it knows how to get you, y'all. It knows what makes you tick. Don't play around with this stuff. You really think, y'all, like, y'all are smart, man. Come on, man. Come on. You think... You just happen to wake up every single Sunday morning when you're planning on going to church and that's the morning that the kids are losing their mind and you want to strangle your wife? Really? That's the morning that you're hungover from the football game you watched the night before? It just happens to be planned out that way? Come on, guys. It's just by happenstance that when I plan on having my quiet time with God, right before it is when work texts me and i got to go put out a fire and I'm distracted from what God wants me to be doing. Come on, y'all. Come on, open your eyes. Get some spiritual smelling salts up in your sinuses and wake up. This stuff is real. And what we're going to do over the next two months is we're going to teach you how to fight this battle. This verse tells us that our enemy is organized. I would throw in our enemy is well-funded, and there is a hierarchy to our enemy. Think of it like a spiritual mafia when it talks about all these different dominions and, and different things, hierarchy, so to speak, a spiritual mafia. Now, we're not going to go over an organizational chart because it doesn't matter how organized the enemy is, Jesus wins no matter what. Let's go over the last verse. Y'all still with me? Say, I am. Verse 13. Last verse that we're going to go over today. Therefore, here he's telling us again, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, when it refers to the day of evil, what it's talking about is when the devil's schemes come to fruition in our lives. And by the way, the text lets us know that the devil's schemes are going to come to fruition in our lives and we're all going to have days of evil. You're all, every one of us, I don't care if it's the preacher, I don't care if it's the person that's here for the first time that doesn't even know Jesus and isn't saved, you're just kicking the tires here at Rev Church. Every one of us are going to have days of evil in our life where we're going to be under attack. He says, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to, there's that word again, stand. Everybody say stand, stand. The Greek word is spelled this for the word stand here, H-I-S-T-E-M-I. And a better translation is to stand firm. This word is used four times in this passage of Scripture. About two months ago, we had a major hurricane, like a Category 5 hurricane, uh, come through Florida, and it kind of went up the coast. And I can remember 
I was watching a reporter. I don't know if it was for the Weather Channel or somebody. I was watching a reporter that stayed during this hurricane. He was out on the balcony giving a report in the middle of like 150, 200-mile-per-hour winds. And while he was talking, he was trying to stand the whole time. What Paul is telling us is we live in a fallen world, and our enemy is real, and he is seeking to kill, steal, and destroy. Every one of us is going to have earth-shaking trials, life-altering storms, and standing is going to be difficult, and sometimes it's going to feel like it's completely impossible. But as God's children, being saved by the blood of Christ, what we're going to find over the next two months is we can stand in truth, in righteousness, peace, faith, assurance of our salvation, filled with the Holy Spirit. The result is that we can have stability and confidence to be able to weather any storm in our life. I'm not telling you, I'm not saying that we won't have things go wrong. What I am saying is those things are not going to have the final say. Jesus is. Make sense to everybody? Say amen. Amen. I want to give you three things to remember. Three things to think about before we come together next week again, and we kick it off with the belt of truth. Three things that really summarize these three verses. Number one, remember this. There is no satanic assault that is stronger than God. Let me say it again. There is no satanic assault that is stronger than God. You may want to take a picture of this when we're done so that you can look at it later this week when all hell breaks loose. Number two, there is no satanic scheme that can penetrate God's armor. There is no satanic scheme that can penetrate God's armor. And number three, there is no satanic evil that can prevail over God's church. None. None. I can't wait till we get to talking about the shield of faith because the shield actually of faith is something that if you study Roman soldiers, they actually used as offensive weapons pretty regularly. And we talk in here all the time about how we have to borrow each other's faith, that when you're in a season where you don't have any faith, that's when you come to church, borrow somebody else's faith. The prayer of a righteous person has power in your life to be able to encourage you and keep you going in this fight. I like what Ignatius of Antioch wrote to Paul. This isn't in the Bible, but it's a historical quote uh, that a church leader wrote to Paul. He said this, Make every effort to come together more frequently to give thanks and glory to God. For when you meet together frequently, the powers of Satan are overthrown and his destructiveness is nullified by the unanimity. I messed that up in the first service. I didn't say it right. Unanimity. I think I said that right. Everybody just say amen, okay? That sounds good, right? We're in Crossville. It's okay. Of your faith. Listen, man. Somebody once said this. You're either coming out of a battle, you're in the middle of a battle, or you're getting ready to go into a battle. Be here the next two months, y'all. You want to learn how to apply this and fight these spiritual battles? Don't miss church the next two months. I don't get on to y'all a whole lot about this. Obviously, I think it's important, and you're like, well, of course you'd say that. You're the pastor. Oh, of course. But I really think this is going to benefit you. I don't care how many Christmas parties you got. I don't care how many Thanksgiving turkeys you got to go eat out of town. Make sure you are here so you can learn how to fight these battles. I'm going to close with this, and I hope this encourages you. I was hoping to get up here today and tell you that the UT Vols dominated the Georgia Bulldogs yesterday. 
that the good guys defeated the enemy. <laughs> but I wasn't able to do that. Instead, I'm going to use Pastor Brandon as, a, as an example. Pastor Brandon is a huge Georgia Bulldogs fan. Uh, we almost made a wager, uh, and I didn't do it, and I'm so glad I did because I'd be standing up here wearing a Georgia Bulldogs jersey, okay? So <laughs> we didn't do it. So uh, he would be singing Rocky Top if UT had won, though. But uh, anyway, he's a big-time Georgia Bulldogs fan. And uh, I was thinking about what the game must have been like for him yesterday and how on the very first series they fumbled the ball, if you didn't know. Georgia fumbles the ball, UT gets it back, and he's probably churning in his stomach, sick at his stomach, just, oh, man, what's going to, this is not good, number one offense in the nation, they're going to kill us now. And how as he watched that game, because it was pretty low scoring, they lost two touchdowns. For our team, that's usually nothing hard for us to do is to put up two touchdowns. We can do it in no time. And his stomach just had to be all tore up. Well, every single week on TV, they replay all the games on the SEC network. And I can just imagine what it's going to be like for Pastor Brandon to watch the replay of Tennessee versus Georgia. When he watches that fumble during the replay, he's not sick to his stomach at all. You know why? He knows the outcome. I watched the replay of the Alabama-Tennessee game like three or four times in the last month, y'all. You know why? The first time I watched it when it was live, it made me sick. I was like telling my wife, I can't do this. i got to preach tomorrow. I'm going to be dead. All my adrenaline is going to be shot. You know, like I was a mess. But watching it now, I know who wins in the end. So it doesn't bother me when we get a fumble, when we miss a tackle, when they get a touchdown, because I know what's happening. Spiritual warfare is like that. You're going to fumble the ball. You're going to miss a tackle. The enemy's going to come in like a flood. But take heart, because listen, we know who wins in the end, Rev Church. It's like watching a replay. We know whose hands get raised. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. Thank you for every single person that is here. God, wake us up. There are people under the sound of my voice right now that have been trying to fix something in the physical and they have not even considered the spiritual realm. They're fighting depression, they're mourning, addiction, marriage problems, and they're trying to do it in their own strength through their five senses in the flesh. And God... I'm not hating on them because we've all been there. They can't figure out why they just can't get it straight. God, I pray today is like smelling salt spiritually. That they wake up and realize you're giving them the answer. That they in fact are fighting a spiritual battle with enemies that hate them. Hate their marriage. Hate their family. Hate their testimony. Want to destroy them. Want to distract them want to come at them with all these different schemes. I pray we as your church over the next two months lean into your word. Chew on this meat and apply it so that we can be more effective for you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. If you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.